It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast with your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. What do we have on tap? Well, only way to find that out, you have to tune in. You have to grab your ticket, get on board, put your seatbelt on. Most importantly, enjoy the ride. That's right. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and your conductor, Anthony Smith. And we are getting ready to get this train on the track. So let's get rolling. You're listening to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Welcome to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith. With the Father's Day and Juneteenth edition of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Uh, no, I do not have all my equipment set up to where you get all the bells and whistles and all the good music beds in between. This is basically going to be straight, uncut, unfiltered podcast. No bells and whistles, but it will be a good show. As I said, this is the Juneteenth and Father's Day edition. And today's podcast, what I will be looking at is, since this is Juneteenth, this is going to have a almost like a black history feel to it. We're going to be looking at great athletes and our coaches who we know are fathers. And I want to say to all the fathers out there, all the male figures, all the fathers, Happy Father's Day to you. Hope you are having an enjoyable day. I can't complain about my day. And the first person I want to look at today is one of the greatest running backs of all time. One of the greatest of all time to play the game. And ironically, He played at an HBCU school, so that makes this even more special. Played at Jackson State University. Took his talents from Jackson State University all the way to the Chicago Bears, all the way into the Hall of Fame. Who are we talking about? Walter Payton. One of the most electrifying. Whose name was Sweetness, but what nothing sweet of what he did on the field. Yes, he has some moments that were defined as Sweetness, which is why he got the nickname. But not only could he could he elude you, but he could also run you over. So let's look at Walter Payton. One of the greatest NFL, one of the greatest players in NFL history, Walker Payton earned nine Pro Bowl selections and set several rushing records during his 13 years with the Chicago Bears. So who was Walker Payton? 
nicknamed Sweetness. Walter Payton was a star running back for the Chicago, for the Chicago Bears, establishing multiple records and earning nine Pro Bowl selections during his Hall of Fame career. Also known for his charitable work, Payton succumbed to bowel duct cancer on November 1st, 1999. Early years and careers. Arthur Jerry Payton was born on July the 25th, 1954 in Columbia, Mississippi. Known by the nickname Sweetness, Payton was admired both for his astonishing football skills and his generous off-the-field personality. Payton first began to attract national attention as a halfback at Jackson State University, making the starting lineup his freshman year in 1971. He was selected for the All-American team and was named the Black College Player of the Year in 1973 and 1974. In his four years at Jackson State, Payton rushed more than 3,500 yards, scored more than 450 points, showing fans and opponents alike just what a versatile and talented player he was. Off the field, he showed his interest in helping others, studying education with an emphasis on working with the deaf. His NFL stardom? Payton continued to excel after joining the NFL's Chicago Bears in 1975. Known for both his speed and power, he rushed for a single game record, 275 yards in 1977, finishing the year as the league MVP. Peyton went on to earn nine Pro Bowl selections, his efforts annually propelling the Bears into playoff contention. Nearing the end of his career, he finally earned a Super Bowl ring when Chicago knocked off the New England Patriots in January 1986. The great running back held a slew of NFL records upon his retirement in 1987, including the career rushing record of 16,726 yards. He was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1993 and the College Football Hall of Fame in 1996. His post-playing career and death. After retiring, Peyton explored business opportunities in several fields, including real estate, restaurants, and race cars. Living up to his nickname, he spent much of his time working to make life better for other people, primarily through the efforts of the Walker Peyton Foundation. In early 1999, Peyton revealed he had primary sclerosing cholangitis, a condition in which the bile duct or block. He died in on November 1st of that year of bowel duct cancer, but not before helping to raise awareness of the rare disease. The football great was survived by his wife Connie and two children, Jared and Brittany. His charitable organization became the Walter and Connie Payton Foundation, with his wife taking over the foundation's mission of helping children and veterans. That is Walter Payton, who he is, what he was, not just on the field, but off the field as well. There is also some more to give you. As the train, like I always say, is always building up ahead of steam. Next up on my list. 
none other than the legendary coach. Can you say whose name? The first name you think of. Can you say the name Grambling University? You say Eddie Robinson. Can't say Grambling without first thinking Eddie Robinson. Eddie Gay Robinson Sr., born February 13, 1919, deceased April the 3rd, 2007, was an American football coach for 56 years from 1941. 1942 and again from 1945 to 1997. He was head coach at Grambling State University, a historically black university, HBCU in Grambling, Louisiana. Robinson is recognized by many college football experts as one of the greatest coaches of all time. During a period in college football history when black players were not allowed to play for Southern college programs, Robinson built Grambling State into a small college football powerhouse. He retired in 1997 with a a record of 408, 165, and 15. Robinson coached every single game from the field and was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame in 1997. Robinson is arguably the most successful college football coach in FCS history and was the third and has the third most victories in college football history. Robinson was born in Jackson in East Valencia Parish in South Louisiana to the son of a sharecropper and a domestic worker. He graduated in 1937 from McKinley Senior High School in the capital city of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and briefly attended Southern University. He then played quarterback and earned his bachelor's degree in English at Leland College in Baker, Louisiana, before obtaining his master's degree in 1954 from the University of Iowa in Iowa City, at which he was a member of Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity. Robinson dreamed of becoming a college football coach, but he faced an enormous drawback. He was black in the days of Jim Crow discrimination only college position he could possibly hope to obtain would be at a traditionally all-black school and these were all well staffed. Having earned his bachelor's degree at Leland, Robinson returned to Baton Rouge and took a job at a feed mill for 25 cents an hour. Not long after that, he heard that the Louisiana Negro Normal and Industrial Institute, now Grambling State University, was searching for a new new football coach. He applied for the job and was hired by the school's president and baseball coach, Ralph Waldo Emerson Jones. In 1941, the 22-year-old Robinson assumed his duties as head football coach at Louisiana Normal. The days of assistant coaches, offensive and defensive coordinators, and specialty coaches were long in the future. So Robinson did everything. He taught defense, he taught offense and defense. 
mowed the football field, made sandwiches for the team when they traveled to places that would not serve blacks in restaurants, taped his players' sore joints, and even wrote game stories in the newspapers. He had strict standards for personal conduct and educational achievements for his players. In his first year, the team went 3-5-1, but the following season, during which he recruited new players and dismissed those who did not live up to his expectations, the Tigers had a perfect 9-0 season, going unbeaten, untied, and unscored upon. Louisiana Normal did not field a team in 1943 or 1944 due to World War II. However, Robinson returned to the field in 1945 and remained at the school, which became Grambling College in 1946 and Grambling State University in 1973 until his retirement in 1997. More than 200 of his players went on to play in the National Football League, American Football League, and Canadian Football League, respectively. Robinson coached three AFL players who would later be inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. The Kansas City Chiefs' Buck Buchanan, the Oakland Raiders' Willie Brown, and the San Diego Chargers' Charlie Joyner. Robinson also coached James Harris, who with the AFL's Buffalo Bills became the first black quarterback in modern pro football history to start at that position in a season opener. He also coached Packers defensive end and Hall of Famer Willie Davis and Super Bowl MVP Redskins quarterback Doug Williams, who would ultimately succeed Robinson as Grambling's head coach in 1998. During his coaching career, Robinson compiled 45 winning seasons, including winning or sharing 17 Southwestern Athletic Conference championships and nine black college football national champions. championships. Enormous publicity attended Robinson's record-breaking win with Grambling State in 1985. Some observers feared that the coach would become the target of white hatred, much as Henry Aaron had when he broke Babe Ruth's home run record. Instead, Robinson reported that he did not receive a single hate letter, even from the legion of Southern fans who worshipped Bear Bryant. When asked if his record was somehow tarnished by the fact that his team played most of his games against Division I AA caliber competition, Robinson told Sports Illustrated, I grew up in the South. I was told where to attend elementary school, where to attend junior high school, where to attend high school. When I became a coach, I was told who I could recruit, who who I could recruit, who I could play, where I could play, when I could play, and did what I could do, did what I could within the system. He added that his philosophy had always been whatever league you're in, whatever level, win there. Eddie Robinson held several jobs other than football coach, including teaching at Grambling State University and coaching the girls' basketball team during World War II. His girls' teams lost the state championship by one point. He also coached boys' basketball, baseball, directed the band, and was in charge of the cheerleaders with a budget of $46. In the days of segregation, Robinson had the pick of most of the good black high school football players in Louisiana, usually dividing them with Southern, a major reason why the game between the two schools was a major in-state rivalry long before it was moved to New Orleans as the Bayou Classic in 1974. He was able to maintain his success for much of the time after integration. 
recording just one losing season between 1960 and 1990. However, after three consecutive losing seasons in the mid-90s, pressure mounted for the now 78-year-old coach to resign. Fellow college coach Joe Paterno is quoted in the Grambling State Press Guide as saying, nobody has ever done or ever will do what Eddie Robinson has done for the game. Our profession will never ever be to repay Eddie Robinson for what he has done for the for the country and the profession of football. In 1997, news escaped that Grambling was planning to dismiss him in midseason. Public outcry, including condemnation from Louisiana elected officials like then Governor Mike Foster, led Grambling to retain Robinson's service through the remainder of the season. Robinson developed Alzheimer's disease after his retirement. He died on April 3, 2007 at Lincoln General Hospital in Ruston, Louisiana, after having been admitted earlier in the day. Robinson and his wife Doris, who died at the age of 96 in September of 2015, had two children, Eddie Robinson Jr. and Lillian Robinson. Looking at his awards and honors, 1979, the Black College All-Star Bowl Committee named its award for outstanding NFL rookie from HBCUs, the Eddie G. Robinson Trophy. Its inaugural winner was Doug Williams. Grambling named its football facility built in 1983, Eddie Robinson Stadium. A street on GSU's campus is also named for him. In 1985, South 13th Street in Baton Rouge was named for him. The Los Angeles Football Classic Foundation's HBCU Championship Award was called the Eddie G. Robinson Trophy in 1988. Beginning in 1994, a different Eddie Robinson Trophy was awarded in Atlanta to the top HBCU Player of the Year. In 1997, the Football Writers Association of, uh, of America's Eddie Robinson Award was renamed for him. Eddie Robinson Classic, held from 1997 to 2002, was named for him. The American Urban Radio Network has sponsored an event for HBCU coaches called the SBN Eddie Robinson Coach of the Year. It was won by Grambling's own Broderick Fobbs in 2014. The Eddie G. Robinson Classic series of high school football games began in 2015 was also named after him. Eddie Robinson received the Amos Alonzo Stag Award from, from, the foot, from the American Football Coaches Association, AFCA, in 1982, and the Amos Alonzo Stag Coaching Award from the United States Sports Academy in 1986. Robinson was the 1992 winner of the Bobby Dodd Coach of the Year Award and was established to honor the NCAA Division I football coach whose team excels on the field, in the classroom, and in the community. The award is named for Bobby Dodd, longtime and head football coach for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and was established in 1996 to honor the values that Dodd exemplified. Robinson was awarded the General Robert R. Nealon Trophy by the Knoxville Quarterback Club in 1999. Super Bowl XXXII played at Qualcomm Stadium in San Diego was dedicated to Robinson as he was accompanied onto the field by Williams and Joe Gibbs to perform the ceremonial coin toss. So there right there in my first segment are two outstanding men 
Eddie Robinson, Walter Payton. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Stay tuned and I'll be back with some more concerning coaches and our players who are known fathers that made their mark in sports. Stay tuned. It is the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. I want to let you know that this podcast is listener-supported. That's right. Driven by you, the listener. So if you want to advertise or sponsor a segment, simply reach out to me at 316-553-2010 or hit me up at a.trainsportstalk at gmail.com to get your ad or sponsorship rant on this podcast. Once again, a train sports talk podcast, your host and conductor, Anthony Smith. You're on board the a train sports talk podcast with your conductor, Anthony Smith. Enjoy the ride. Welcome back to my next segment of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Your host and conductor of the train, Anthony Smith, with the Juneteenth edition. And I said this is something else, just that quick, my mind went blank. Right, the Juneteenth and Father's Day edition of the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast on June the 19th so glad you are able to listen to this podcast like I said I don't have all the bells and whistles so that's it you do here as far as coming in and out of breaks that's stuff that's already pre-recorded and already dropped in well not dropped in I have to put it in this respective spot basically I'm the producer of my own podcast but I hope you are enjoying today's content as I will have a poll question to conclude with and I hope to get feedback from you uh, next up I'm looking at on my list here is none of them I would say one of the guys that revolutionized basketball at the time when he did revolutionize it because basketball was just straight up a basic run up and down the court set up on defense you know the fundamentals but this guy he was Michael Jordan Dominique Wilkins, all the flair, the flash, the pomp and circumstances, he was all that before they came on the scene. He was indeed a trailblazer, pardon the pun, you Portland fans. Who was this guy? Well, he was going to different arenas making house calls. He was simply known as the doctor, Dr. J. Born Julius Winfrey. Field Irving II, born February the 22nd, 1950, commonly known by the nickname 
Dr. J was an American former professional basketball player regardless as one of the greatest and most influential basketball players of all time. Irving helped legitimize the American Basketball Association, ABA. And pull this up real quick there we go and he was the and he was the best known player in that league when it merged into the National Basketball Association NBA after the 1975-76 season Irving won three championships four most valuable player awards and three scoring titles with the ABA's Virginia Squires and New York Nets, now the NBA's Brooklyn Nets, and the NBA's Philadelphia 76ers. During his 16 seasons as a player, none of his teams ever missed the postseason. He is the eighth highest scorer in ABA NBA history with 30,026 points, NBA and ABA combined. He was well known for slam dunking from the free throw line in the slam dunk contest and was the only player voted most valuable player in both ABA and NBA. The basketball slang for being posterized was first coined to describe his moves to describe his moves in 1993, Irving was included, inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. In 1994, Irving was named by Sports Illustrated as one of the most 40 important athletes of all time. In 1996, Irving was honored as one of the league's greatest players of all time by being named to the NBA 50th anniversary team. In 2004, he was inducted into the Nassau County Sports Hall of Fame. In October 21, 2021, Irving was again honored as one of the league's greatest players of all time by being named to the NBA 75th anniversary team. Many consider him one of the most talented players in the history of the NBA. He is widely acknowledged as one of the game's best dunkers, while Connie Hawkins, Jumpin' Johnny Green, Elgin Baylor, Jim Pollard, and Gus Johnson performed spectacular dunks before Irving's time. Irving brought the practice into the mainstream. His signature was the slam dunk. His signature was the slam dunk since incorporated into the vernacular and basic skill set of the game in the same manner as the crossover dribble and the no-look pass. Before Irving, dunking was a practice most commonly used by the big men, usually standing close to the hoop show their brutal strength which was seen as style over substance even unsportsmanlike by many purists of the game however the way Irving utilized the dunk more as a high percentage shot made at the end of maneuvers generally starting well away from the basket and not necessarily a show of force helped to make the shot an acceptable tactic especially in trying to avoid a blocked shot although the slam dunk still widely used as a show of power, a method of intimidation, and a way to 
fire up the team and spectators, Irving demonstrated that there can be a great artistry and almost balletic style to slamming the ball into the hoop, particularly after a launch several feet from that target. His early life, Irving was born February the 22nd, 1950 in East Meadow on Long Island and raised from the age of 13 in Roosevelt, New York. Prior to that, he lived in nearby Hempstead. He attended Roosevelt High School and played for his college, played for his basketball team. He received the nickname Dr. or Dr. J from a high school friend named Leon Saunders. He explained, I started calling Saunders the professor and he started calling me the doctor. So it just, it was just between us. We were buddies. We had our nicknames, and we would not, and we would roll with the nicknames, and that's where it came from. Urban recalled that later on in the Rucker Park League in Harlem, when people started calling me Black Moses and Houdini, I told them if they wanted to call me anything, call me Doctor. Over time, the nickname evolved into Doctor J, and finally, Doctor J. Irving was called Dr. J by his friend and future teammate on the Nets and Squires, Willie Sojourner. His college career, Irving enrolled at the University of Massachusetts Amherst in 1968. In two varsity college basketball seasons, he averaged 26.3 points and 20.2 rebounds per game, becoming one of the only six players, becoming one of only six players to average more than 20 points and 20 rebounds per game in NCAA men's basketball. In 1968, the NCAA passed a rule that prohibited dunking. Thus, Irving's fabulous dunking was only seen and known to teammates at practice. He then sought hardship entry into professional basketball in 1971. Fifteen years later, Irving fulfilled a promise he had made to his mother by earning a bachelor's degree in creative leadership and administration from the school through the University Without Walls program. Irving also holds an honorary doctorate from the school. In September 2021, Massachusetts honored Irving by unveiling a statue outside the Mullen Center on the university's campus. Professional career, Virginia Squires, ABA, although NBA rules at the time did not allow teams to draft players who were less than four years removed from high school, the ABA instituted a hardship rule that would allow players to leave college early. Irving took advantage of the rule change and left Massachusetts after his junior year to sign a four-year contract worth 500000 spread over seven years with the Virginia Squires. Irving quickly established himself as a force and gained a reputation for hard and ruthless dunking. He scored 27.3 points per game as a rookie, was selected to the All-ABA second team, made the ABA All-Rookie team, led the ABA in offensive rebounds, and finished second to Artis Gilmore for the ABA Rookie of the Year award. He led the Squires into the Eastern Division Finals, where they lost to the Rick Berry-led New York Nets in seven games. The Nets would eventually go to the finals, losing to the star-studded Indiana Pacers team. 
ABA NBA contract dispute. Contract dispute. Under NBA rules, he became eligible for the 1972 NBA draft, and the Milwaukee Bucks picked him in the first round, 12th overall. A move that would have brought him to, brought him together with Oscar Robinson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Prior to the draft, he signed a contract with the Atlanta Hawks worth more than $1 million with, with a $250,000 bonus. The signing with the Hawks came after a dispute with the Squires where he demanded a renegotiation of the terms. He discovered that his agent at the time, Steve Arnold, was employed by the Squires and convinced him to sign a below-market contract. This created a dispute between three teams and two leagues. The Bucks asserted their rights to Irving via the draft, while the Squires went to court to force him to honor his contract. He joined Pete Maverick at the Hawks training camp as they prepared for the upcoming season. He played two exhibition games with the Hawks until NBA Commissioner Jay Walker Kennedy ruled that the Bucks own Irving's rights via the draft. Kennedy fined the Hawks $25,000 per game in violation of his ruling. Atlanta appealed Kennedy's decision to the league owners who also supported the Bucks' position. While waiting for the owners' decision, Irving played in one more preseason game, earning the Hawks another fine. Irving enjoyed his brief time with Atlanta, and he would later dispute with George Gervin, would later duplicate with George Gervin his after-practice playing with Maverick. On October 2nd, Judge Edward Neither issued an injunction that prohibited him from playing for any team other than the Squires. The judge then set the case to arbitration because of an because of an arbitration clause in Irving's contract with Virginia. He agreed to report to the Squires while he appealed, while his appeal of the injunction made its way through the court. Back in the ABA, his game flourished, and he achieved a career-best 31.9 points per game in the 1972-73 season. The following year, the cash-strapped Squires sold his contract to the New York Nets. The New York Nets ABA. The Squires, like most ABA teams, were on rather shaky financial ground. The cash-strapped team then sent Irving to the Nets in a complex deal that kept the ABA. That kept him in the ABA. Irving signed an eight-year deal worth a reported three hundred fifty thousand per year. The Squires received seven hundred fifty thousand. George Carter and the rights to Kermit Washington for Irving and Willie Sojourner. The Nets also sent $425,000 to the Hawks to reimburse the team for its legal fees, fines, and bonus paid to Earth. Finally, Atlanta would receive draft compensation should a merger of the league result in a common draft. He went on to lead the Nets to the, their first ABA title in 1973-74, defeating the Utah Stars. Irving established himself as the most important player in the ABA. His spectacular play established the Nets as one of the better teams in the ABA and brought fans and credibility to the league. The end of the 1975-76 ABA season finally brought the ABA-NBA merger. The Nets and Nuggets had applied for admission 
to the NBA before the season in anticipation of the eventual merger that had first been proposed by the two leagues in 1974, but which was delayed for various reasons, including the Oscar Robinson free agency suit, which was not resolved until 1976. The Irving-led Nets defeated the Denver Nuggets in the ABA's final championship in the postseason. Irving averaged 34.7 points and was named most valuable player of the playoffs. That season, he finished in the top 10 in the ABA's in points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, steals per game, blocks per game, free throw percentage, free throws made, free throws attempted, three-point field goal percentage, and three-point field goals made. Philadelphia 76ers, NBA. The Nets, Nuggets, Indiana Pacers, and San Antonio Spurs joined the NBA for the 1976-77 season. With Irving and Nate Archibald acquired in a draft with Kansas City. Somebody remember the Kansas City Kings? Wow, that's a long ways back. The Nets were poised to pick up right where they left off. However, the New York Knicks upset the Nets' plan when they demanded that the Nets pay them $4.8 million for invading the Knicks' NBA territory. Coming on the heels of the fees, the Nets had to pay for joining the NBA. Owner Roy Boy reneged on a promise to raise Irving's salary. Irving refused to play under these conditions and held out in training camp. After several teams, such as the Milwaukee Bucks, Los Angeles Lakers, and Philadelphia Sixers lobbied to obtain him, the Nets offered Irving's contract to the New York Knicks in return for waiving the indemnity, but the Knicks turned it down. This was considered one of the worst decisions in franchise history. Yes, the Knicks are known for that. That's, a, that's the Knicks. The Sixers then decided to offer to buy Irving's contract for $3 million, in addition to paying roughly the Nets' same amount as their expansion fee. And Boy had little choice but to accept the $6 million deal. For all intents and purposes, the Nets helped their franchise player for a berth in the NBA. The Irving deal left the Nets in ruin. They promptly crashed to a 22-60 record, the worst in the league. Years later, Boy regretted having to trade Irving to join the NBA saying, the merger agreement killed the Nets as an NBA franchise. Irving quickly became the leader of his new club and led them to an exciting 50-win season. However, playing with other stars such as former ABA standout George McGinnis, future NBA All-Star Lloyd Free, and aggressive Doug Collins allowed him to focus on playing more team-oriented ball. Despite a smaller role, Irving stayed unselfish the Sixers won the Atlantic Division and were the top drawing team in the NBA. They defeated the defending champions, the Boston Celtics, to win the Eastern Conference. Irving took them into the NBA Finals against the Portland Trail Blazers of Bill Walton. After the Sixers took a 2-0 lead, however, the Blazers ran off four straight victories after the famous brawl between Maurice Lucas and Daryl Dawkins, which ignited the Blazers team. There is more to this story, but due to time constraints, I am going to have to 
cut this short. But what I will do, and I promise you I will do this. I will run this story again on my next podcast, which liable to be tomorrow. And I'm going to still keep it as the Father's Day edition. It will be the Father's Day edition part two, which will also give me time to bring you some more athletes as well. Which I said earlier, this will probably feel like more of a black history feel to it. But I hope that you will enjoy it and you will get to learn some about players that you grew up watching that you might didn't know too much about. I will even go as far back as baseball, the Jackie Robinson days. So until the next time, always remember to keep your tickets because when the train pulls up, I want you to get on board. Put your seatbelt on and enjoy the ride because the train is building up steam. Once again, I am fastly approaching episode 200 and that will be a special momentous occasion as I will have special guests on doing interviews and also will be unveiling my brand new logo. So you'll want to stay tuned for that. So until next time, once again, happy Father's Day. Have a blessed day. This is yours truly, the A-Train Anthony Smith, bringing this train into the station.